to the Healthy You Podcast, the podcast where you learn skills, tools, and education to transform into the healthiest, wellest version of you. I'm Stevie Moon, the health curator. Here with me today, we're going to be sitting down with Amy Golden. So first and foremost, Amy is my best friend. She lives down the road from me. We have a straight up neighborhood watch sort of situation going on here. Um, We are best friends. So this is going to be a a treat for you guys because you're going to get to know a little bit about us in a more intimate way. Amy is a college advisor. She works with the engineering students and she uh, has the qualifications because she also has a master's of English. Um, She's also the most well-read person that I know. So my name is Amy and I am a college advisor. It's my dream job and I'm really lucky to have it. Um, By night, I am a writer, a reader, and a hand letterer. I'm also a big animal lover and I have several rescue pets. That's also how I spend a lot of my time. And I'm really excited to be here talking with you today. This is a dream. And this is this is awesome. It, you're not here, but if you could be here with us, you would see us in my basement. The lights are dim. We've got, you know, walnuts, healthy little snack. We've got water here. We're really just two best friends sitting in their basement and we're gonna have a discussion, which we hope will give you some tools and some model some language that may help you get through whatever you're going through and transform your life. So Amy, as a college advisor, which you have been, how long, how long have you been doing this? I've only been a college advisor for the last year, um, but I've worked at a university for five years total now. Okay. So you have, well, a year of experience is quite a bit, so don't sell yourself short there. (laughs) Um, As an academic advisor. Yeah. What do I do? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so... (laughs) You, you've been doing it for a year now, so you mm-hmm. get a pretty good I, sense of what's coming through the door, uh, you know, every single day. Who are you seeing the most, and why are you seeing them? So the students that I see are usually students who are having stress or students who like to have a plan and are very organized. And so I see wide ends of the spectrum. Um, I would like to see every student, but that's unfortunately not the case. Usually if you're coming into somebody for help, it's because you're either struggling or because you're taking preemptive action so mm-hmm. you don't struggle. Right. So those are kind of the two groups of people I see a lot. Okay. Do you say there's one more than the other? Do you think people come with, to you in crisis more than they come... It definitely depends on the time of year. I see the prepared ones, you know, before things start, and then I see the ones in crisis, like in the middle of the year and after things have already started. And the ones in, I would say even the prepared students are also often in their own kind of crisis because they typically tend to have very high standards for themselves. And so instead of having external pressure, they're often dealing with internal pressure that they are creating. But you're not even just talking about a specific age group here because you work at a non-traditional college. I do. My college students range from age 18. I even actually see students younger than that sometimes who are early enrollment students. Um, We see a lot of high school students as well. And I see students, I think my oldest student is probably um, older than 50. You've got a wide range of people who are trying to better their lives and you're starting to see some of the hiccups that are popping up. Yes, they have a huge, like, vast of life experience, right? Some of them are just barely starting out, and they're just learning all these lessons, and some of them have already had all the lessons, and they're coming back to try a second time. A lot of my students have families that they're also dealing with in one way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. A lot of them are married. We deal with a ton of non-traditional students, so, yeah. It's a lot of different kinds of experiences, but also it becomes very universal. They're all dealing with the same sorts of struggles in the end. So what are some of those struggles? So one thing that I see with them a lot is I see students who, you know, usually the stress that I see is actually just fear. I see a lot of students who are scared. They're scared of failure. They're scared of starting. 
Um, they're scared that they can't achieve these things that they really want. So that's the first thing I try and deal with. I deal with a lot of students who are having a lot of anxieties and I kind of just try and help them work through that in a reasonable, manageable way. Right. Um, I also have students who have issues with things I think we all struggle with, stuff like time management or feeling overwhelmed or distracted. Um, that's something I see a lot. And then the other thing that I deal with is a lot of my students lack self-confidence. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I also try and you know assist with as best I can. Do you think that all these things are inter- interconnected or do you see one of these more than the other? I think they're absolutely interconnected and I don't think it's just because these students are college students. I think anybody who's trying to achieve in multiple areas of life at once are going to have these same kinds of problems that these students deal with. I think they're going to be stressed, I think they're going to feel pulled in too many directions, and I think they're going to struggle with focus. So let's talk about a a couple things. Let's start and rewind the clock a little bit so that you can kind of give our listeners some background on you, background on your health journey, because everything that you're teaching, everything, all the advice and the experience, the guidance that you're giving, it's coming from a place of, uh, we're gonna we're gonna get into it. It's it's something that is hard to describe. What, how would you describe your health journey? It's been long, and I'm not that old, but my health journey over the last decade has been something that is it's very interesting. Um, Healing and progressing are not linear. And so I can definitely map out different points of my life where my health journey was going in a really good direction and times where it's taken steps back. And it's good to look back on it and see how much progress I've made, but it's definitely been an interesting journey. So a little bit of background about me is um, I too was a college student. I was a traditional college student. I went right when I was 18, I did the undergrad, but I was also um, super, super anxious. Mm -hmm. I dealt with really severe anxiety. I had panic attacks, depression, and insomnia, all while I was doing my undergrad. And I also worked full-time the whole time I was in school. I didn't have any free time. Um, I was pulled in a lot of different directions. I had the same money struggles that every 20-year-old will out on their own. So it's a lot of everything my students are dealing with, a lot of it I've dealt with it myself when I was their age. And then I took a couple years break from school and I worked for a startup company right. um, and I thought that was the right path. Like I thought I was doing what you're supposed to do, right? You graduate college, mm-hmm. you get a job in a cubicle and you work. Yeah, the, tr- the traditional yeah, life plan, especially you, here in Utah. Yes, exactly. You commute, you get the paycheck, you come home. Like, mm-hmm. And then I just realized that I hated it. I was so miserable. I developed TMJ, um, like the drive that's, was awful. That's the tension in your yes, jaw. Yeah. yeah, TMJ is where you have, basically it's jaw issues often brought on by things like anxiety or grinding your teeth in your sleep or that kind of stuff. So it's it's like a muscle. Um, so did you start disorder. to notice back then, were you aware that your body was showing the symptoms of the stress on your mind? Absolutely. I was aware, but I didn't know how to stop it. Like I knew what was happening to me. I knew that I was getting the TMJ because I was miserable. Like I knew that I was having stomach issues because I was being bullied by a coworker in my workplace. Like you can see, and that's kind of when I started to have issues with disordered eating as well, which was unfortunate. And I could see everything that was happening to me, but I had no way to pump the brakes. Wait, did you just call your disordered eating unfortunate, you little (laughs) masters of English? (laughs) No, that's that's trauma. It's trauma that was in your life and that represented itself in your life also within your body. Like it, it came out. Absolutely. And I had other traumatic events that took place in that time in my life. And it was very obvious to see how these outside influences and these emotional things took just a huge toll on my health. I didn't want to leave the house. I got more anxious. 
it was a really bad time in my life, but I had the realization that if I wanted to make my life better, I had to do something about it. I couldn't just keep working the same job. I couldn't keep commuting every day because mm -hmm. I, whether I could articulate it or not, whether I could solve it in a coherent way, that didn't matter. I just knew I had to stop what I was doing. Right. And so like the true, uh, true Ravenclaw that I am at heart, I made a pro and con list to try and decide <laughs> what I was gonna do. And so that involved, um, I decided that I was either going to go back and get a master's degree in English and uh, work at a university in some capacity, or that I was going to get a degree in journalism, or that I was going to go to law school. Like, those yeah, are the three okay. options. Okay, so like, like, not narrowed down? No. So you, no. <laughs> I, I want to mark this point, because this is really important. Not even people who end up going off into their life and becoming successes, people who uh, finish goals and, and start to advise other people and... Uh, really live their life even they don't have clarity a hundred percent of the time no the clarity didn't matter at that time because I felt like I just felt all this pressure and I knew it was bad and I had to get out so sometimes if you're in a bad situation it doesn't have to be the perfect circumstances for you to move forward mm -hmm. like it doesn't have to be x y and z lineup but the thing is this is the part where it's a little bit magic and this is the part of my life that I think something really really interesting and important happened okay. I decided, I made my pro and con list. I decided that the master's degree in English was the best option for me, given what I wanted mm -hmm. in my life. And as soon as I made that decision, I managed to get out of a lease early, find a new apartment that was cheaper and in the right area. I managed to get a job at the university where I was going to go get the degree. And I managed to get accepted into the college all within about a three-week period. So this is this is actual, you know, law of attraction sort of yes. magic that... that and the thing is, is that I don't use that term um, flippantly. I, I'm talking about something that we can't really, we don't have the language yet to speak of it because it just kind of sounds a little woohoo. Yep. But, but the truth is, is that we both experienced situations where we got radical clarity on what we desired and we started to gain momentum through our actions. Yes. And that's very key. If there's no action, which I think you probably also see is a lot of people who they, they want to get that clarity, mm -hmm. but they're unwilling to take the action to get the clarity. And therefore, you know, you, yes, you're saying, yes, I do want to go to college. Yes, I do want a degree, but want is a whole different thing than I am doing this. Yes. I had to take the action. Like if I hadn't applied to the university, if I hadn't listed my apartment to get it rented out so I could get out of that lease, if I hadn't applied for that job, and I'd applied for jobs at this university three separate times since I'd had my bachelor's degree and mm -hmm. I hadn't even gotten an interview. And once, as soon as I decided that this is what I was doing, I got the interview. Yeah. Like, so it's, so a, it's it, a direct response. You, exactly. you stepped off the, the path onto the butterfly wings and mm -hmm. things started to happen. It did. And it was incredible because I'm not, I don't always consider myself a lucky person, but all of a sudden everything lined up and yeah. I was like, oh, well, luck has nothing to do with it. Like I had to take that first step. And once I did, everything worked with me. And so, and it was, I'm not saying that everything was like, easy after that because right. that's not remotely what happened like I still getting my master's degree was really hard like mm -hmm. it was really hard and taking a step down from a job that paid one amount to a job that paid a lot less was really hard so let's take a pause on that because I think that that is a situation where a lot of people could get some um, wisdom and some some truth there because I know a lot of people who are going to be listening to this will also want to do something in the terms that you or I have done which is that we quit something that was a sure thing to do more of what we loved that was not sure. 
That's exactly right. Like if I had stayed at that company, I would still be making a lot more money now if I could have survived it. And mm-hmm. I'm, and I don't say that to be dramatic. Like I'm literally not sure if I would have made it through if I'd continued down that path because it wasn't. Well, and that's a where situation. a lot of our listeners find themselves today. Yeah. But but you you feel like you have to make yourself smaller and say, well, I'm just being dramatic. No, if yeah. you you got to trust your intuition, and you did, and because you did, now you're making your dreams. You're realizing your dreams. It's true. Like if you have that gut feeling that something is so wrong that like you're not going to be okay there, like trust that intuition. Don't, yeah, but but let's think you know, about it. Get out. What what was modeled for you? It was just to deal with it, just to shrink yourself to the situation and just modify yourself to fit into this box. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you have to realize that you're not even in the right box. Like you're supposed to be in a round box. Like you're supposed to, you're not supposed to be in a box at all. Maybe like mm-hmm. you you'll know when it doesn't feel right. And I think a lot of us, there's a book that I really like um, called the gift of fear by Gavin DeBecker. Okay. And the book is mostly to do with, um, it talks, he's a security expert. So it talks more about like self-defense and I think every woman should read it. I think it's extremely valuable yes. to talk mm-hmm. about how to keep yourself safe. And there's two, really important things that he brings up in that book. And one of them is that we've been taught to ignore our fear when our fear is actually trying to tell us something. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Which is, you know, like that fear is trying to tell you something is not right. It is your instincts yelling at you and you can listen. To, you don't always have to give into the fear, but mm. it's trying to tell you something and you should at least listen to what it's saying before you make your decision. Okay. So do you think that it can be a compass for you? Yes, absolutely. I think it can be a compass. Your fear is your gut trying to tell you which path you're supposed to be on. It's uh-huh. supposed to direct you. And obviously sometimes fear is anxiety mm-hmm. and you have to learn how to discern the difference, especially if you're just kind of a naturally anxious person. Mm-hmm. And that just takes years of learning when you're right and when you're wrong. It takes years of learning to trust yourself. So this is a, a place that I want to touch on with you because because I do know you. I have the luxury of knowing places where you have done growth that our listeners can get some advice with Amy on (laughs) (laughs) so uh right here let's talk about anxiety anxiety in Amy a a love memoir it's a beautiful beautiful messed up love story me and anxiety um it's something that I've had in hindsight I can see it's something I've had very deeply since I was a kid um Mm -hmm. I am an only child which comes with its own baggage if any of our listeners are only (laughs) children like me and Stevie you will know that uh rewind sorry go back if any if any of you, I'm sorry, I just coughed. Oh, <laughs> I was like, what did I say wrong? No. Um, if any of our listeners are only children, as me and Stevie are, I think you can relate to this next point, that being an only child, you might put a lot of pressure on yourself to be the perfect child for your parents. Mm-hmm. And you become a people pleaser. Ooh. And being a people pleaser makes you very anxious because you're constantly caring about others' opinions more than your own opinion of yourself. I feel like I'm in the hot seat. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a lot. It's real. It's real. And I think almost every only child deals with this in some way, shape, or form. It's a lot of pressure. And you have to reparent yourself as you get older and understand that that anxiety you felt like it was serving you, but it's not. And me and anxiety, I mean, for me, anxiety is so, so physical as well. And that's something I think that you talk about yeah. a lot is like, I have stomach problems for my anxiety. Um, when I was younger, it caused really, really bad insomnia. There mm-hmm. were, I can think of large swaths where I have memory problems in my life because I wasn't sleeping. Yes. Like I just wasn't sleeping. So I wasn't forming good memories. And so if you ask me specific questions about my undergrad experience, like from when I was ages, you know, 17 to 20, probably, I wasn't sleeping well at all and it's just how it is sometimes and if you're in that season right now I just want you to know that you have to be patient 
but it's, it is gonna get better if you just learn some skills and learn how to identify what is making you anxious and what is a real fear and what in your life you need to change and what other things you just need to kind of learn to listen to. And it's a long process, but it is gonna get better. So let's, let's take that and say, okay, let's say that our listeners who should begin to trust us by now, <laughs> um, suspend your disbelief Let's say you can envision a future for yourself where your anxiety doesn't seep in and kind of swallow you. What, what gets you through to the other side? One of the things is in tracking how you feel, being a citizen scientist and tracking your symptoms. That's one thing I wish I would have done years earlier because when you're in the throes of a bad mental health period, like I also suffer with seasonal affective disorder. Mm-hmm. So until I identify- And we live in Utah, by the way. We live so in it's Utah. like six months. It's, it's bad, it's cold, it's dark, the air is bad, you can't go outside, it's inconsistent, it's really, it can be a huge struggle. And until I identified that it's, oh, this happens every winter, you have to identify that anxiety and depression have seasons and that seasons end. Mm-hmm. And so tracking your symptoms day by day can tell you what A, is an actual problem that you need resolved, and B, what is just something that comes and goes. Especially yeah. if you're a woman, often your anxiety and depression are gonna line up with hormonal cycles. And if mm-hmm. you know that, if there's a reason for it, it takes away that power of it, that anxiety has. Well, and let's let's circle back around because you and I both have experience with this. We were literally just talking about this before we turn on the microphone. Um, we both have hormonal imbalances, specifically from our intuition tells us from some lifetime almost like I mean it's been what ten years of birth control for me it's been like thirteen years of thirteen years thirteen yeah. years of birth control ten mm-hmm. years for me. And what, where does that take you and where does that leave you hormonally? I don't think that we're actually fully aware of what's, what effects that has, but we both have hormonal acne. We both mm-hmm. have hormonal um, mood kind of, yes. not instability, I don't think anymore because we have the skills and we have access to the skills and tools that we're gonna teach you in just a second. Um, so thank you for your patience. But we also, implement like a, a space in our day to slow ourselves down intentionally because it doesn't just happen you're not just going to magically be able to be so distressed and suddenly implement skills you have to learn how to take a pause trigger the body to calm down and then your mind will go where the body goes yes and let's talk about some of the ways that i trigger the body yeah. to come down mm-hmm. because for sure Anxiety no longer rules my life, but it is something that sometimes causes me discomfort mm-hmm. and can delay things. It can have an impact still. It's so much better, but there's still skills it's, that I use every it's day. It's functioning, but it's, it's impactful. It's functioning, but it's impactful. That's a great way to put it. So um, one of the things that I do is I use my resources, which for me, that's my husband and my dog. Like mm-hmm. If I'm feeling super anxious, I will literally lay down on the floor with my dog and I will hug her because feeling her breathing rhythm and her heartbeat like literally it draws you out yes like literally use the use another person or animal around you that you can love and trust and it works and it also reminds you to kind of step outside of yourself so if you have anything like that um so that's one of the main things that i do another thing is i have to distract myself um if i am sitting alone in an anxious moment 
I just spiral. I'm exceptionally good at catastrophizing. It's one of my top skills. But that's like really hard to not be alone. Absolutely. It's really hard. It's really hard. And so I'll put on a podcast. I'll put on a repeat podcast of a comedian that I've heard before. Or like I'll put on music or I'll watch a quick YouTube video. Usually something funny to take me out of that moment. And while that doesn't work long term, like you do have to sit with those feelings sometimes. If you're super anxious, it's not a good time to analyze why you have to come out of it first and see it from the other side. You can't deal with it while you're in the moment. The other very important thing is that if you're experiencing really bad anxiety to the point where it's affecting your physical health and your mental health and you are distressed more than you are not distressed, when you start tracking your symptoms and you see that there is a distinct pattern, get help. And help can come in many ways. If you are a university student, most universities have Um, free counselors that you can use. Sometimes they have a long waiting period, but they also have other tools that you can use in the meantime. They'll have other resources. And if it's an emergency, get help immediately. Talk to your school's resources, anything that you can do. Um, The first person who prescribed anti-anxiety and antidepressants to me was my internal medicine doctor. Mm -hmm. The second person who, when I went through all this a second time, was my gynecologist. It doesn't have to be a psychiatrist or a therapist. It can be your general health provider. The person who currently manages my mental health is my general practitioner. Okay, so this is really important because you and I have two different stories with uh, medication. And I think this is, I think this is important enough to touch on. So let's kind of just spend a little, a little step here. Mm -hmm. Um, You have found success using medication to treat your anxiety and your depression. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about? Yes, it's definitely not linear success with medication. And there are times that medication has not worked for me at all. I've been in a couple bad medications. Um, That's again when the symptom tracking becomes super, super important. Medicine can be really rough. Like medicine that treats your brain, you have to pay really close attention to yourself. And that can be kind of uncomfortable. But if you're not willing to do the work to track those symptoms, maybe medication isn't the right step for you because it's going to be really hard for you to know if it's being effective or if it's making it worse so when are you like what advice do you give to people when they're like coming into you and you can tell you know you should probably seek some help when where's that line how do you how do you recognize it it's for me it's it's hard to say because sometimes it's just the intuition right it's just a gut feeling but it's when a student seems hopeless It's when a student seems so overwhelmed that they can't go through backup plans with me, when they can't think of alternatives, when a student doesn't seem to be able to find their way out of a situation, or there is, by the end of the appointment, if I say, did this help, do you feel better? And they absolutely, it did not help, Mm -hmm. and they do not feel better. That is when I will either walk, I'll walk them to the psychiatrist center, I will give out recommendations and resources. That's usually the line. How do you identify it within yourself? Because the, the thing mm. is, is that some of the, some of the listeners uh, are university students, but some of them aren't, and yeah. they don't have access to somewhere where they can go and um, how, because I think you can definitely be at your house and make that call. Yes. Like, how, how would you make that? So I can tell you exactly how I made it this summer, honestly, and this is a little bit fresh, and usually I don't talk about the fresher mm-hmm. stuff, but I think that this is something that a lot of people experience. Um, I had a really bad incident with some grief this summer. I lost a couple people who were really, really special to me. And I was able to recognize there's the feeling of grief and grief has a very distinct feeling. And I began to recognize that my grief was sliding into depression. Well, because they both physically feel the same. And so it's hard for the brain to make that 
very hard and I think that grief can trigger depression yeah. because I wasn't I was on a little bit of medication but all of a sudden my medication wasn't working anymore and I yeah. could just tell because to me it's happened a couple times in my life where I've either been off medication or on very low medication and I have felt myself doing what I like to call the slide it's when I'm at the top of the hill and all of a sudden I feel like I'm on quicksand or I'm on mud and it feels like a landslide and it feels like I'm sliding down mm-hmm. and I can see the pit at the bottom but I can't stop the slide yeah, and I the only way I can explain it is in metaphors, but that's well, what it is. No, but but that's something that people when they hear that they are like, oh, <laughs> and if <laughs> like I viscerally can feel that. Yes, and if you've done it once, you'll know what it feels like if you're doing it again. And my thing is just don't wait too long to get. I waited a little bit too long this time, and I could have, I should have talked to somebody a little bit sooner. But taking that first step is really hard. So sometimes get your best friend or your husband or your mom if you need somebody to literally call and make the appointment mm-hmm. for you ask for help if you don't know where to start the internet's a great tool and resource or you can ask your works HR department if they have recommendations or if you're on your parents insurance you know ask your sibling if they're on the same insurance plan as you there's there's a lot of people who will help you if you ask and there's a lot of ways making that first step is the absolute hardest part making that appointment admitting that you need the help admitting you're not okay that's the hardest part after you do that everything else gets a lot easier Mm I think it's absolutely critical to be able to and it's a skill let's be very clear here this is not something that we think that everybody should have this intuitively you have to literally be able to pull yourself almost away from the situation and say wait is this too much and like we've talked about kind of removing yourself from from the body experience um let's kind of move this into a tool um that you guys can use. I have talked about this on some of my social media, but I've I've given you this advice as well, and that is of the hot cold shower. Can you oh, tell? Yes. Can can we talk about that? The hot cold showers. This is one of the first things that Stevie actually talked to me about because one of the things that I've always really really admired about you, Stevie, is that you're so open in talking about your mental health and your mental health journey. <laughs> well, and to you. <laughs> yes, to me at least, and like you know, to people that you feel comfortable with. Yeah. And I think that that's important because I think. People, especially women, aren't encouraged to talk about this stuff, and you don't realize that everybody else is suffering in some yeah. way, too. And if we talk about it more, we can all help each other. And so one of the first things you talked about mm-hmm. was the hot, cold shower and how it basically can, you know, it shocks the system. Like, yeah. and it's like a heart reset. It really does trigger your body to feel as if you have fallen into, like, an ice water lake. And so all of your energy, all of... Uh, your your blood and everything goes straight to the heart because it's like keep the animal alive and that's where you have you have to say okay well right now the mind is spiraling and the body is spiraling and the distress is so high and it and it does get that way and i've had experiences that are so scary and i think you've had those experiences as well where you you actually in the moment do not know if you will survive that moment and i think people don't talk about that because it's almost taboo to talk about having weakness or vulnerability especially as a woman especially mentally absolutely and honest like that it does feel like you're dying sometimes when you are having an anxiety or a panic attack yes and that's a scary thing to talk about and i don't think we love to talk about it when we're not in the middle of it it's not something yeah because like comfortable right now my heart's starting starting to yeah if you talk about it you can kind of but the thing is 
talking about it also gives you plan A, B, and C. Okay, when I feel anxious, the first thing I'm going to do mm-hmm. is this. And making what, a plan is huge. Making a plan is huge. And that's something I talk about with students constantly is because oftentimes plan A isn't going to work out. And do you want your plan not to work out? And you're just mm-hmm. going to be standing there with your hands in the air, no idea what to do? Like, no, the plan always doesn't work. Plans don't work. You have yeah. to figure out what's going to happen. What's the backup plan? What's the backup plan for the backup plan? I was the kind of kid who manifested my anxiety by making emergency plans. I had a plan for if the house was on fire mm-hmm. or if there was an earthquake. And my parents are preparedness people too, and we usually do it in practical ways. You know, we have a yeah. 72 hour kit. Like, we are those kind of people, not in the like prepper category of those people. Life has hurdles, and unfortunately, bad things are gonna happen. And it's not happening to you, it's happening for you. Yeah. But it can only happen for you if you know how to deal with the bad thing. Yeah. I'm not going to say that it's not going to go poorly. Sometimes it is. And you just have to figure out how to get up and figure out your way around it. And so the same, it's the same thing with anxiety and having tools to manage anxiety. So my tools are using my support system, medication if necessary. And sometimes it is necessary for me and sometimes it isn't. And it's okay to go back on and off medicines. And it's okay to change them and try new things. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a journey. And also, there's a lot of behavioral tools, listening to a podcast, doing the hot, cold shower. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you of an incident that I did the hot, cold shower yeah. in the wilderness. Okay, so like this. Well, let's turn this one back around. So yes, back to hot, hot, cold hot, shower. Hot, hot. So, um, the thing I didn't mention is that I am a, um, an outdoor enthusiast in progress. Yes. So something I have been practicing that makes me exceptionally uncomfortable is participating in outdoor sports. Yes. So things like... Well, and, and quickly explain why that is. So... It's because of my husband. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. It's because my husband is basically an outdoor... He's so passionate about yeah. it that I wanted to share his passion and go on adventures with him. Right. And sometimes... And you've actually turned to kind of like it. I ended up loving it. Yeah. And that's the thing is me and my husband have been together for over 10 years now. We've only been married for a few of those, but we have been together for a yeah. long time. And it's not about forcing each other to do things. It's about learning to love certain hobbies so that you can connect I won't go and do everything with him. I don't. I'm not going to go back country skiing with him. But you, no, no but you, you guys rafting. have a individual personality, and um, you have found a way to grow together as well. So absolutely, the growing together is super important, and that is my number one advice for long-term relationships: is learn to grow together. Which in my case meant learning how to paddleboard and okay. kayak. So you're you're out <laughs> in the wilderness, and I'm you find yourself. Very in turmoil. Very distressed. distressed because I get scared because I am. Because it's new and it's, it's a, new. It's unknown. And honestly, my husband likes to say that there is no true adventure without a little bit of inherent risk. There's going to be a little bit of risk. Of course he does. Of course he does. Um, I, I ran my first half marathon. I trained with, with Zach and, this, and yeah, no. His, his mantra <laughs> is, I am a machine. That is so, what he says yeah. to run and achieve goals, which does not work for many of us, but it works for him. Yeah. But, so the way that my husband handles situations and copes with them are not remotely the same as me. So yeah. he can't give me the tools to not be scared when I'm on a raft in the middle of a river and oh, I'm he tries the stress. And he that, tries. That, that, that's one thing is, is that there are going to be people around you who are going to give you advice that you're going to feel, me, per, you can perhaps have the experience of, of noticing that I feel kind of dumb because this isn't working for me. Just know if it doesn't work, don't even stri- don't even linger on it because no. there's, I mean, the like, likelihood that the people you surround yourself with also tolerate distress in, in the same way is unlikely. Exactly. And you take some things and you leave some things. Yeah. Zach's advice when I'm anxious is a hug. And guess what? Most of the time that works. And it's mm-hmm. great advice. But his other advice of, you know, just breathe. Breathing actually doesn't really work for me when I'm in distress. Mm-hmm. It doesn't 
it doesn't solve the problem. I can't breathe my way through it. So one not time until I'm, you do it with me. Not until I do it with Stevie. And, and Stevie teaches me how to breathe better. I also practice yoga and I'm learning to yoga breathe. And it's an ongoing experience. But in this particular instance, we're on a raft. Mm-hmm. I'm, it's, ve- it's a very hot day and I'm feeling a lot of anxiety. And I realize if I throw myself off the raft into the cold water and then pull myself back up onto the mm-hmm. raft on the hot raft in the sun, did exactly. Yeah. It, it, it reset my system immediately. It totally, totally worked. Well, and the thing about that is that I get a lot of people asking, well, what do I do when I'm not at home? And there are just a lot of, there are not many situations where you can't trigger temperature um, by some way, shape, or form. Most most everywhere you can get really resourceful. Try to find something cold, ice cubes, cold water, whatever it's going to look like for you. And in your case, it was cold water, but Mm -hmm. it could have been like, you could have also been out um, like snowshoeing today or something. And that could have been a situation Maybe not as something you want to do, like you would probably say, don't do that because you could get cold and then die Which, in the mountain. But yes, obviously be careful of your yeah. environment. Be, be, be safe. I didn't throw don't, myself don't into the water. Don't trigger hypothermia. Yeah, don't do that. But like in Utah right now in the winter, if I am feeling anxious and overwhelmed, I literally just walk out my back door and yeah. I just stand there in the cold air. And then I go back into my warm house and stand over a heat vent and it works. Well, and we literally did that the other day because we, yeah. went, we went out and this is the most lovely thing in fact we are going to exchange walkie talkies because we live that close and we can just say hey uh, let's go for a walk real quick and that is another skill that I think is important is not just walking but going out and walking with somebody who you you trust but will also not try to solve your problem for you Yes, that, and I think that can be just let you have space for it yes and that's the thing is I think some women don't make friends outside of their marriage sometimes or Mm -hmm. some women are only really spending the majority of their time with either like just their partner and just their family it's so important for you to have at least one close friend who's going to just listen and and if that's not something that your partner is encouraging right now take it from two ladies we love you we care about you that's not okay make it make a boundary Absolutely. Like that is something that we will stress very strongly is you have to have boundaries in your relationship. If you have a partner who does not want you to have any friends, that's a huge red flag. Mm-hmm. And I would encourage you to look at that more closely. Um, and we would absolutely be happy to do a follow-up episode yeah. with resources for yeah. women who might be in distressful situations because it's something that we have dealt with on the peripheries. It's something that we have assisted with. It's something that we are knowledgeable about. Well, and if you guys have any questions, just as a little side note here, if you have any questions for Amy, please feel free to direct messenger. She is online. Amy reads a lot on Instagram. Um, Twitter we're, we're, and Tumblr. Twitter and Tumblr. Yep, same same handle for all of them. And I'm always happy to talk. Um, I love talking about books and advice. Um, I'm a huge advocate for women. I think it's really important that we all support each other and have circles where you can have these kind of discussions and understand that you're not alone and there's people you can talk to Mm -hmm. who can be a sounding board well I think it's really important and we've seen this in our lives going from a place where you're surrounded by people who are all doing the kind of same level of you you're not ever going to be able to make growth you have to either briefly take a step back and stop spending time with people in person and start to surround yourself with knowledge and and uh, mentors, and that's why people can come to come to you, you know, and that's why people often do come to a mentor like that. But you can also get them from like podcasts and stuff, and we've had to do that before. No, it's true. Um, audiobooks. 
I listen to um, audiobooks, especially like memoirs, um, podcasts, that kind of stuff. I also encourage you to have friends of many different backgrounds. Right. I have friends. Yes, I have friends who are older than me. I have friends who are younger than me. The friends who are older than me are teaching me things, and I'm teaching things to the friends who are younger than me. And I have friends who have, you know, traditional education and are very well educated in universities. And then I have friends who are very well educated in, you know, life skills and and travelers and friends of different races, friends who are um, in different parts of the LGBTQ community than you and people, friends who are different religions. Like as many different life experiences you can see are going to make you a better person. Well, it's going to give you compassion. It's going to give you compassion and empathy. And that's one of the biggest things I talk about both as a reader and as just a human and Mm. a very empathetic human, like a very empathetic human is reading teaches you to be more empathetic because it's teaching you to live in someone else's skin as close as you can. And so when you're reading as well, to take it back to some book stuff that I love, (laughs) make sure that you are reading widely as in you are not just reading books about people like you. Read bunch of different books about yeah. a bunch of different people if you're interested in this idea if that's resonating with you go check out the single story uh it's a ted talk um the danger of a single story um yeah so okay. good that's a good ted talk you guys but it is it's really important to increase your empathy because my biggest creed is we're only here to make other people's lives easier like if i'm not i don't well believe... service to others is service to self exactly like that is how I just believe that, you know, we're all in this together and like servicing others makes you a better person and it makes somebody else's life better. It's well, you can, either, you can either be problem oriented or you can be solution oriented. Absolutely. And the second that I think we both are able to tolerate our distress and say from, cause like in my distress, everything is the problem. Like everything I turn around, people are making me mad. Situations are making me mad. My body is really distressed. Everything needs is a problem you can't solve a solution from that mindset so um that's kind of like the concept of putting on uh, your own air mask before you can put the mask on others and so if you're in a dark point of your life where all that you can do there's a quote out there that i should figure out who it's attributed to but like if you only save one life in this world and it's your own life that is beautiful and that is amazing and so if you're in a season of life where you can't i get it but i also encourage you even when you're in those really dark times especially given that we're about to enter another election cycle which all the news and all the doom and gloom it can make people feel really dark (laughs) and so if you're feeling that way i encourage you to just the most that you feel that you can give without stressing yourself is what you should be giving um when i was in one of the worst times of my life and i was working for that startup company and i was really distressed i was being bullied in the workplace which i would also love to talk about bullying in the workplace at Mm -hmm. some point because that is something i don't think we talk about enough um but I, and I was commuting and I was just a distressed person. I started volunteering for the Best Friends Animal Society Kitten Nursery and twice a week, I would go in and spend two to three hours taking care of kittens. Right. And I didn't have to bring them home. Um, I didn't ever bring any home. People always say that you're gonna wanna do that. You don't, once you're done taking care of the kittens, like it's a lot of work mm-hmm. and it's hard, but you're literally changing tiny lives with your hands. Yeah. And it's incredible. Well, and I remember coming to see you in the office cause for a brief moment, Amy and I both like had a, we both worked at the same university. So I remember coming and seeing the kittens and I couldn't, I can see now that that should have been like an indication to me as a friend that like there was some self-soothing going on there. Um, I just thought it was pretty cool. <laughs> and it can be both. Like I believe animal rescue is really important. It's one of, the, one of my lifelong yeah. passions. I'm actually pescatarian. I don't eat any animals that come from factory farming. It's something that 
I don't want to just talk the talk, you know, I want to right. do the action. And so I've rescued all of my animals I, I have in my house and I try and do outside service as well because it makes me feel really, really good yeah. and it helps something else as well. Everybody wins. So as we close out, um, before we close, I have one final question for you. And that is, what are you currently working on as far as your personal growth goes? Like what, what do you want to, I think there's just an opportunity for when, when people who are working through things and have worked through things can also open up and say, look, I did work through some stuff and I'm also still working through some stuff. Here's, here's how I'm doing it. Yes, here's a, here's a peek behind the curtain because anybody, if you ever saw me in real life, if you have met me in real life, you're going to think that everything is going well for me. I put on a good presentation. I am upbeat. I, I usually tend to mirror people really closely. Yeah. So I want you to know that even the people who it looks like everything's going well, they are also working on stuff all the time behind right. the curtains. And so my current thing that I'm working on is learning how to care about myself and care for myself. So right. I am learning to prioritize my own health instead I've of noticed that. Yes, thank you. It's it's something that's really important because before this I only prioritized goals. I had to get the master's degree, I had to get this job. Mm -hmm. Before that I was getting married. Like it was tangible outside goals and I didn't prioritize my own health at all. So I Well it's easy to look outside and say yeah. this is where I succeed is when this happens. Yeah. What it really is though is like what you believe when you get the degree, then you're worthy. Exactly. It's trying to it's trying to get a certificate that says that you're worthy. And you know mm -hmm. what? I was worthy the whole time and I should be treating myself like that. And that is something that I've been working on. And what that looks like, like what that looks like in reality is things like I'm trying to build a healthy, sustainable practice with exercise. Right. So that is finding joy in movement and not making it focused on changing my body or um, things like that. I'm just trying to find things that make me happy. So for me, that looks like yoga. That looks like going to the gym in the morning with Stevie and my husband and training for a specific exercise or goal we want to achieve. Speaking of which, we're just, we're trying to pull up. We're trying to learn how to do pull-ups. We're trying to learn how to do pull-ups, guys. Yeah, so um, that's that's where that is. Okay, yeah. sorry. Thoughts and prayers. Um, so that's just the kind of, it's, it's trying to find movement that brings me, it's trying to find movement that makes me happy for me, movement has always been really high pressure. It mm -hmm. was always weight oriented or it was something I had to do for PE class. Um, I started off my physical activity by doing gymnastics and dance, yeah. which are obviously competitive and you're right. judged for those things. And I'm trying to learn how to do exercise without judging myself. Right. And I am really grateful that I have a supportive friend and a supportive husband who will go to the gym and show me exercises that I don't hate and make it fun for me. Well, and that's, that's one thing before we head off, you, we had a whole conversation about this because there's one day where I had been taking Amy through essentially my, my program, like what I do. And she just wasn't having as much fun. And so we decided to switch it up. And this is really important because if you have a partner or a friend or whatever, and you're trying out a, a form of movement and it just doesn't make your heart sing, like you're not just, you're just not having fun. doesn't feel like you're playing it's not the right kind for you. And so we started to incorporate more body weight stuff and still do some weights, but more body weight. And you seem to really enjoy that. Yes, I do. Because it feels like being a kid again. It feels yeah. like playing on the playground. You know, it's a good time. And some, I'll give some examples of non-traditional movement that I've really, really connected with. 
because there might not be things mm-hmm. that you thought about. So yoga was the first one that I incorporated, which obviously yoga is more mainstream now than it has ever been. But yoga can be, it seems really easy, but it's not. And it's a great starting point to connecting with movement and connecting with your body. And then getting outdoors, um, hiking with my dog is something I enjoy. And I don't enjoy hiking without her. I just like to see her joy of hiking mm-hmm. and um, paddle boarding. Stand-up paddleboarding is one of my biggest passions now. It's one of my favorite things to do. And who would have thought, you know, so maybe if exercises you're trying aren't connecting with you, maybe visit your local rec center or your local um, university or community college and see if they offer intro classes for maybe some exercise that you don't want to invest in the equipment on your own until you're sure you like it or you've never tried it or you want someone to show you how to do it. Look out as a community, to some community resources and see if there's some options out there. Right. So really you've noticed having an open mind and really an open heart towards movement has allowed you to go from, I remember you as like hating exercise, which I think a lot of people find themselves because they're just like, they always talk about this elusive motivate. Well, I'm just not motivated. You can go to the gym in the morning because you're motivated. Baloney. I don't go to the gym because I'm motivated. I go to the gym because it's habit and I made it. So it's by design so that I don't have to be motivated. And that's the thing is like, if you have something that's fun, that you're able to form a habit that doesn't suck. Right. You're supposed to like it. So if I had just stuck to weightlifting and running, for one thing, I tried to run a half marathon with Stevie and I developed a running injury almost immediately. We've been training well, for- and it, and it showed us a different part of your body that yes. had essentially trauma in it. Yeah, and we had no, I had no idea. I had no idea that I had traumatized this part of my body with mm-hmm. in, honestly with improper movement a yeah. lot. And so it's, it was good to find that out. But a lot of it too is, you know, not just giving something one try, you have to give it yeah, the good Yeah, because you try. got really discouraged for a I while. I did, I did and get really discouraged. I remember me and Zach, running and I I said I think we I need to take Amy to the the gym and he's like you know I think that's a good idea because it's hard to get back on the horse so if you've fallen off of the horse because you find yourself like maybe not loving something that you feel like you ought to be loving the only thing you should be loving is moving the body the body is meant to move it is not meant to sit and binge watch um, Gilmore Girls for 10 hours though we've both done it of course you can always have a binge day, but yeah. you should probably get outside the next day. Yeah, because what it's going to do is it's going to help you show up in the ways that you want to show up. Amy shows up for her students so much with so much more clarity. I know this not because I'm like outside your window, <laughs> um, but because I know because you've told me. You feel like you can actually see that you're making impact. And I think it's because you have that confidence first thing in the morning. Um as I mean not the only reason but that's a reason that has helped you I've also realized that I have to prioritize myself Um, I have made mistakes that people who work in any kind of caregiver industry whatsoever will recognize giving too much of yourself as a stay-at-home mom for the first two years of my daughter's life yes oh yeah absolutely any kind of caregiving you know moms nurses advisors we're all in the same boat in that we give too much of ourselves to those who we are caring for Mm -hmm. And then um, all we give ourselves is criticism. Exactly. And the thing is, like, A, you should be praising yourself as much as you're praising your child or your students or your patients. Mm-hmm. And B, you need to prioritize yourself. And for me, that means taking advantage of my companies. They have a wellness policy that allows you to go and take time to exercise during the day. I always use it. And mm-hmm. I use my vacation. And I do, you know, they, and they have, like, um, we, have a, we have a community 
5k that my university does every year and I go and participate and like take advantage of those things and make sure that you are prioritizing yourself because if you're not taking care of yourself you can't take care of anybody else it's just not going to happen right okay Amy I can't thank you enough for sitting in my basement and allowing me to bribe you with uh (laughs) you know photos and nuts yes my two favorite (laughs) things are photos and nuts um this was amazing I'm really glad I had this opportunity and hopefully I'll get to talk to your audience again sometime yeah well I think I think we're gonna have to make that happen because the truth is is that health is not some inherent truth that one person has discovered it's something that we make together and we discover together each of us we're expressions of a consciousness experiencing different parts of life different parts of how to get through the same problems the same situations and the same system so when you heal you heal those around you and i think that we have both seen that um, come back to us, we're, especially those who are closest with you, which is why it's so special to be with you today um, here, because we have really paralleled each other in the past few years. Absolutely. And I don't think that, in fact, I know my growth would not be possible without you, so get yourself a good friend. Absolutely. Who you surround yourself with is so, so important. Only surround yourself with people who are going to help you become the best version of you and you can help them as well and it's true I would not be finding this healthy relationship with movement if not for you well this has been a lovely session we're gonna go and head off and sign off but thank you so much I hope that you found this inspirational motivational if you want to hang out with Amy some more which let me tell you you do because she is a hell of a time Um, You can find her over on Instagram. She's on TikTok. She's on Tumblr. She's on Twitter. And something tells me that she will be here many, many more times. Have a fabulous day. And until next time, be kind and stay curious.